This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And you will find right now through November 17th, they have one of my favorite things they have there. And they're really worth, if you've never had them and you're not even a Zupan shopper, it's worth going to Zupan's just to get their sage brined pork chops. They're $2 off a pound right now and absolutely delicious on the grill or on the... um, or the cast iron, if you have a fine X grape, but any cast iron, it's fantastic. So go in and get those sage brine pork chops. I'm, lo- I'm looking at these right now, uh, Chris, through the Zupan's email that we both receive on on the regular. And I know what's for dinner on Sunday. This is uh, this just looks great. Also, don't forget, right now is a time to be thinking about Thanksgiving. It's really not that far away. And I've been a, uh, a champion for this for years now. Let Zupan's do some, if not all, of the heavy lifting they are taking your Thanksgiving reservations right now at Zupans.com, and they make it so easy. The order form is easy. You send it off, and then you go pick it up, and voila, Thanksgiving dinner is done. I think we might be doing that this year for Thanksgiving. Last year, I picked up Christmas prime rib from them and speak talk about heavy lifting. Oh, yeah. It, it, was, it was enough to get us through about four meals for that. Yeah. So. I've been doing my uh, our the Thanksgiving turkey from Zupans for the past three or four years and what's great about it is i a, a couple of times i've i've opted to spatchcock the uh the turkeys which you know you basically butterfly it and and mm-hmm. and they do it for you because i did it once myself and thought i never want to do that again and so i just asked, asked the uh the butcher block to take care of it for me and they did oh fantastic other things going on there right now are well, so i'm going to be in there today as a matter of fact to grab some navel oranges for 99 cents a pound i love those and my dogs love the bone broth from zoop uh that's only seven dollars uh, 32 ounce uh jar now too so uh and one other thing that's on their zupan's news feed that everybody's got to get involved with is uh orange ilex right now is half off uh, a five stem bunch uh, to make your home look really nice for the holidays and right on into the winter. Very nice. You can stop by your local zoo pans, which is, of course is on McAdam, West Burnside, and in Lake Oswego. And always wear Chris. You can see this and more at zoopans.com. All right, it's time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And Court Johnson over there from kink.fm. Hey, Court, is it time to do some new intro music for the podcast? You know, it probably might be. I, I was thinking about this the other day because uh, we, we haven't had our current theme music for very long. In fact, this might be the shortest amount of time we've had it before thinking of moving on. I don't even remember what it was. I got to listen again. <laughs> it's 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 pretty good. Maybe, maybe well, you know. We've had so many. I like the one that Ariel did years ago that we used. Sure. Uh, that um, what is it? No rain. Was it called? What's the name of that song? I, I can't. Uh, something. I can't stand the rain. Or um, yeah, I can't stand the rain. Yeah, I wouldn't mind going back to that. I go back to while. that. That would have been a good one for 2020. Actually. Sure. Sure. The, my problem with it, not that I have a problem with the song itself, is is that there's just lyrics in it, and it's it's hard to have theme music for a podcast with lyrics. That's, right, that's but I think the, they were appropriate for Portland. Sure, sure, whatever. But okay, we'll have that discussion amongst the two of us instead of all our guests. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, we're just taking care of some business here. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we don't get a chance to talk all that much off of my off mic. So we may as well just have our right, right at the fork uh, business meetings right here on the intros yeah. to the podcast. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> a little behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't think it's that exciting nope. behind the scenes. I don't know if anybody would want to see. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're audio only. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm bundled up cuz it's getting cold. It's it's made the turn, so it's getting cold in sweaters and hoodies and hats. I I took a walk with a with gloves on yesterday. Oh, hey. So that's the first time, but happy to do so and feeling pretty good this week. It's just such a strange time, but at least it's uh something positive in 2020 for those of us who are happy with the re- election results. 
Right. Yeah. And I, I don't use that word loosely. I call them results. So let's see what happens. <laughs> oh, Chris, since when do you get to decide? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm watching today. It's crazy. He's actually trying to ob- obstruct things. Our, our child in the White House. But OK, I feel like I'm getting over the line politically. We know we have listeners. We must have listeners on both sides of the uh, sure. aisle. So. Yeah, one, one would assume. Yeah, so I'll stop. We love you all. Yes. I actually posted something this morning that was, I had a nice conversation with a um, with one of my few Trump supporter friends yesterday, and it was very positive, as we did four years ago after the election. So uh, we've, we've now had the opportunity to have it both ways, and it was civil. So uh, that's nice because, you know, one of the things I discovered um, about Facebook that, you and I might have talked about was that on anything that was a news post about the election, Facebook figured out where I was politically. And the only response that they would show under the post was something that would inflame me every single time. Yeah. So it was never something that I would agree with. It was always something that I looked at. So it would cause me to click. And that is very clandestine and I hate it. And I really want to give up Facebook, because I do think they're evil. I really do. On the other hand, lots of good things have happened in my life as a result of Facebook. So I'm, it's kind of like hard to give up, but they piss me off. Yeah. No, it's the uh, double edged sword that Facebook is. Right. But I think we would have, there there would be so much less division. Oh, sure. No, I agree. If they had, if they didn't sow that seed of division, yeah, and that's what they do. It's terrible. But, anyway, but Chris, where would I go on Fridays to see cute cats? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm finding some fun videos or funny or funny memes. Yeah. So, um, did you, by the way, see the Queen's Gambit yet? Speaking no, I, of positive things, no, have not watched. It's on my list. I've seen. I'm seeing a lot of people talk about it positively, but I haven't yet. Uh, got to it so it's on my best list. thing i've seen on tv in a long time i really right. enjoyed it so um i highly suggest it that's a little off topic this entire podcast intro chris is off topic yeah well that's all right we get a chance to chat and it's and it's our podcast so sure um but it is still a food podcast and we have we do still have a semblance of a food scene in portland and What's been interesting is to see some of the um, how some folks are making things work and uh, for them in a very different way, ways that they may not have even thought that they'd be working not long ago, even a year ago. And and our guest today, um, Thomas Boyce, is uh, no exception to that. He's uh, when he came to Portland in 2008 with his then wife, Kim. Um, I remember, and I mentioned this in the podcast itself, I remember it was kind of a big deal on Eater and some of the other sites, um, maybe Portland Monthly, that these two were coming up from Los Angeles. And especially Thomas was pretty well known for his stints or his time at Spago, which is, you know, he'd been there for many years before uh, Food Network was in place and Spago was like the place and Wolfgang Puck, who obviously started Spago and was the chef there, was really well known. So his coming up here from there uh, with some other stops along the way in New York and other spots as well um, was kind of was a big deal. And since then, Um, You know, he helped his uh, Kim start Bake Shop years ago, which is now known as one of Portland's best bakeries. And he went on to work at Blue Hour um, for a number of years. um, And he talks about that experience uh, coming up. And also uh, he did some significant things at Pac both in Portland and Los Angeles as they opened up down there. So, um, you know, he's had some good experience in Portland, uh, well-known, really talented. And I came across him recently on Instagram on his feed, which is Lasagna Project PDX, and ordered a couple of lasagnas for him. So what he's doing now 
is baking lasagna a few times a week and then delivering it all over Portland. A model that he never would have thought of before, I think. Yeah. No, I fell into a, a little well the other day when I saw you post about that. And uh, that lasagna looks just absolutely delicious. Yeah, it was. And uh, so this I I ordered some once before and I wasn't able to receive it when he dropped it off at um, the house where my kids are in Portland and they ended up having it and they loved it. So I ordered a short rib and mushroom version uh, last week, took it back to the coast and enjoyed some with my girlfriend. And it was really, really good. And, um, you know, it's a tray uh, and has pretty much exactly four servings for people who want to eat pretty well. Yeah. Um, and so we got four servings out of it for 40 bucks delivered. I think that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. And and it's not only about the deal, it's about that it's delicious, too. So um, we the, the funny thing was, and I and I referenced it in the podcast, I had never met him before. Um, we just chatted, and um, when he del- he delivered the lasagna right out on our cul-de-sac there, he parked, had a mask on. I came out of the house with a mask on. He texted me and said, I'm here. And we did sort of an elbow bump, not really, and it was a thank you and a see you later. Yeah. That was it. So we didn't really get a chance to talk until um, – he, we met up via Zoom, our new method, um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, and uh, which would have been Tuesday on uh, Monday, the 9th of uh, November. And uh, it was a nice conversation. Well, I'm looking forward to listen to it. And before we all listen to it together, Chris, as we talk about lasagna, it's uh, very easy for me to uh, wander in my mind to Italy. And people can still go with you to Italy next year, can they not? Yeah, it's a ways off. It's a, a little less than a year now. We'll be going to um, Western Sicily with uh, Austrian sign, who previously took us to Bologna for some of the best lasagna I've ever had. But the Western Sicily trip will be fantastic. We've already done the Eastern end with about 13 people. And uh, we have just a few signed up for our Italy trip. You know, it's a precarious time to be signing people up. But this is a year out. Um, and we have room for people who want to sign up. We'll do some signups with a little uh, backout period as well, too, as well. Um, but what we do have to sign up for also is a trip uh, to um, Snake River Canyon. That's not Italy. It has nothing to do with Italy. But with our friend Jonathan Gill, Chef Jonathan Gill from Ringside, next July 4th, it's a beautiful, fantastic trip. They'll be serving ringside steaks as well. And that's with the folks from Canyon Outfitters. Uh, and you can find all of this out on PortlandFoodAdventures.com. Very nice. All right. So with that now out of the way, let's move on to the podcast. And well, we should. Right at the Fork is supported by Zupan's Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupan's Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupan's.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England-style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteras of Urdaneta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austri Enzyme. Whet your appetite and get more information at portlandfoodadventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more details. So thank yeah. you. My pleasure, my pleasure. I've heard about this podcast for a, a, for a, a while now, um, but this is the first time I've actually been able to uh, jump into one, obviously. Um, and over the last few days, I've just been listening to a few different episodes. 
this is this is how we gain listeners. We just ask them to be guests, and then they're forced. <laughs> <laughs> it's effective. It's got, effective. If you have four. We just got four new listens for uh, November. So, nice. Anyway, so I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy. You got quite a few um, servings of lasagna going out the door tomorrow. <laughs> I've got a few th- a few going on. It's working. It's been working out surprisingly well um, for a project that I just sort of started as just kind of a lark, just to see if it would work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gaining some traction and I'm pretty optimistic about it. How long has it been now? Um, I think I started about uh, two, maybe two and a half months ago. Um, Yeah, maybe three, actually three months ago. It'll be three months ago in the, on the 17th of November. Um, I just looked back to when my first post was on Instagram. um, And that was uh, August. Yeah. August 17th. Okay, and so we're talking just so everyone knows, because you and I are in on this. Oh, that's true. On Lasagna Plot Project PDX, which on Instagram is Lasagna Project PDX. Exactly. And so, um, obviously, everybody, you know, we we're aware of we're too aware of the word pivot now, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously, you had to find something that worked that you could right. And I think it's brilliant because it's not complicated, but the idea behind ordering something and then having it delivered. And that, by the way, that was weird the other night because we both had masks on and probably in a rush. So I hadn't even really met you. Right. And you handed off that wonderful (laughs) lasagna. By the way, short rib and mushroom, that was incredible that i thank you very much the second half nice i i don't typically eat the lasagnas myself but i usually save a little bit of the sauce i cut some noodles and i just make myself a dish of pasta with it um Mm -hmm. i was really pleased with that one i'm usually my harshest critic um and i can find fault in things where no one else can but i was like this is really good i was really happy with that one well, good. So what was the impetus before we go? I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your experiences in Portland and how you got here. But what was the impetus um, for lasagna for you? The, uh, I don't I th- you know. Obviously, Spago, you probably had some similar cuisine there, but it doesn't look like you've had a lot of Italian, quote unquote, Italian experience. I think um, actually... Uh, one of my first original jobs, I mean, I've, I, I, I think I sent you my, uh, my bio, but I've always been working in restaurants, um, a lot of smaller cafes in Napa, where it was just sort of mom and pop things. I was washing dishes. It, the, there was not a focus on the food. So I, my first job, I think it was 21. Uh, I took a summer job um, before going back to school, working for Michael Chiarello at Trevigne mm-hmm. in Napa. I think it was 1990. Um, and Napa wasn't really what it was or what it is now. French Laundry was still, was still two years was. before he, there was still a few things there, but it was like real restaurants was sort of a big player in the game. Um, and back then it, he had a garden outside. I worked their wood burning oven every day. I'd come in, I'd chop the wood, I'd make the pizza dough. And there was one morning I remember um, the sun was coming in the dining room and the wood oven. I smell the wood fire. I'm smelling the dough. I smell the olive oil coming off what I'm roasting in the oven. I just gone out to the garden to pick my herbs. I'm like, this is pretty magical right here. Um, and that's kind of what set me on the path that I'm on right now. Um, and that was primarily Tuscan food. Um, it was pretty minimal stuff, but there was a lot of integrity to it. Um, and that's really the food that I started cooking. Um, Pasta has kind of always been my jam. Uh, Spago had um, pasta was a major part of what I was doing down there. They always had a pasta station. There's always four to seven pastas on the menu at a time down there. Um, and and I that must have to- been an exciting time at Spago because that was kind of bef- that was before a lot of food television, and so right, you know, his restaurants were kind of the thing that people mm-hmm. were talking. Right. When, when I first started there, it was 1995. Um, I don't think the Food Network was even a thing yet. Yeah. Um, 
If not, it was just sort of someone's dream. Um, I mean, Wolfgang was already a celebrity chef. Um, I think one of the sort of prototypes for celebrity chefs. Um, and it was just a great place to be, to learn. He wanted to have the, when he opened Spago Beverly Hills, in 1997, he wanted that to be his flagship. He wanted that to really matter. Um, the executive chef I worked under was Lee Hefter. And there was just such an adherence to quality um, and to just making a name for um, Spago as a brand, um, especially that restaurant. Um, he had his Vegas restaurants, but that was sort of a different uh, vibe. It was still fine dining. Um, but we had a lot of opportunities to get some really amazing product and kind of do whatever we could with it. Do you it remember? Was an, it was an exciting time, and I learned a tremendous amount there. Well, that's what I was going to – do you remember a moment where you said – where you thought, I love this, and I'm just really good at it, too, and I can take this to a whole other level? I think – I think that was like sort of fits, it grew in fits and starts. Um, like when I first worked for Chiarello back in 90, I realized like I have an affinity for this. Um, I was surrounded by cooks who were significantly better than me. They had all gone to culinary school and had a few years of experience under their belts. Um, so I was like struggling to keep up and learn as much as I could, but I knew I really enjoyed it. Um, and then slowly I realized like, I'm not as bad at this as I, th as I thought I was. And <laughs> I mean, I love the work. I love it. And it was originally just the environment of being in a kitchen that I liked. I love the adrenaline. Um, I was not a great student. So leaving college behind wasn't such a difficult decision. Um, it was just uh, the environment, the camaraderie, the, the, just the, the, the senses of it um and just in really enjoying just the pace and all that that's what really got me into it um and then once i became a sioux in spago beverly hills in 97 i think that's when it sort of clicked that like yeah this is i could take this pretty far um and actually make a good living and have a good life and i sort of realized uh how lucky i was to be in the position that i was um, knowing that I'm getting like some of the best product that's available in the country um, and the freedom to do it. Wolfgang was an amazing boss um, who was able to just let you, to give you enough freedom um, to do what you wanted to do, but within a framework and with guidance. Um, it's just a great working environment. Are you still in touch with him? I, 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 you know, I left LA um, and I'm terrible at keeping in touch with people. Um, so I've sort of, I sort of have uh, fallen out of contact with a lot of those people. I mean, it's a, it's a social media contact right now. Well, that's contact. You know, yeah. before social media, there would be none unless it was a phone call. That's true. <laughs> so that's true. Have the opportunity for uh, some. So, um, and then uh, what got you to, Portland. Uh, I, I think there. it was a, moving from LA to Portland. Um, at the time I was married, I had two kids um, and I had kids who were about to go into school. And it had got to the point where balancing work and family was challenging. Like, while I loved the work I was doing, I was still working 60 hours a week. Um, and that was after I had sort of taken it down a notch after I had kids. Um, was so, that the was that the was that the least amount of time that you put in? A that week? was the least amount of time I would do. Yeah, it was for probably a decade. I worked twelve to fourteen hours a day, five to six days a week. Mm -hmm. um, I don't regret it, but it was it did take up a huge chunk of my time, and my 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 world was very much focused on on that work and learning and the food I was I was uh, making there. Um, and just making that business work. Um, I didn't really see it. I didn't see the trade-offs then. Um, back now, I'm like, wow, it would have been nice to have like a, a little more time to myself back then. Um, but it was still, it was just time to um, focus more on my family, on what me and my partner were going to do together. Um, mm -hmm. 
we just didn't see if the future is being sustainable. I didn't want to continue working that many hours a week. Um, so we sort of set out to find a new place to, to live. We looked at a few different cities. Um, I can, we considered Austin for a minute. Um, I have some family up here in Portland. We came up here in 2008 um, and was just really inspired by the food scene that was happening up here. Um, there was a lot of owner operators who are just, I mean, obviously, you know, but that were just doing, doing their own thing on their own terms. Um, and it wasn't always flawless, but it was just really honest. Um, and we felt that we could find a place for ourselves here. Um, right. And it was less expensive than Los Angeles to live. Oh, it was in, it was so much less expensive than Los Angeles. Yeah. I think one of the first things that got us going is we, uh, uh, my oldest was five years old, getting ready to start uh, kindergarten or preschool. Um, and we started looking at schools and realized that, like, eh, we don't really want to send her to the public school down the street. And we lived in a great district. Um, but then we also realized that a private school would set us back like $20,000. And it's like, why don't we live in a place where we can let our kids walk to the public school in the neighborhood? Um, embrace sort of a community, know who our neighbors are. I mean, I lived in the last house I lived in LA in a very like neighborhoody neighborhood. I was in Silver Lake. Um, I barely knew my neighbors. I was like, I knew my immediate neighbors, but always like, okay, there's the guy down the street who's always on his phone in his pajamas outside. Uh, mm -hmm. There's the weird dude on the corner who's always waxing his car. It's like, I didn't know who these people were. Um, and we just thought that Portland was a good fit. Um, so, and I still think it was a great fit. I think my kids are much happier here. Um, nothing went as planned once I got up here. <laughs> um, but I still think it was a good decision to come up to this area. Right. So if you had hindsight then 2020 hindsight and knowing all the changes that were happening, you still would have done it. I still, I still would have done it. I would have come up with maybe different expectations and a different, a different game plan. Um, just to see how things, how things landed. So that's a good question. What would you have done differently? Now, if you could go back, you know, I, coronavirus notwithstanding, because you can't plan for that. I don't think anyone could have planned for this. Um, I think just having a better idea of what I wanted to do up here before I got here. Um, like I sort of came up here open-ended, mostly just kind of like looking forward to taking a break from living the life I'd been living. Um, and I'm like, it's such a restaurant city. I'm sure something is going to materialize. Um, and it turns out in the environment of owner operators, like very few people wanted to hire me as a chef to work at the same level I was working at before. Um, I think having a plan of like, this is, this is what I want to do. Um, and this is how I want to do it. This is the plate, the business I want to run. Um, would have made that a little easier. I also ended up getting uh, divorced a few years after I moved up here. So all that added to some of the uh, indecisiveness well, no of what's going on. <laughs> no one ever plans to get divorced. <laughs> um, you know, I sat in when I was sitting with uh, my divorce attorney way back when. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that really stuck with me, really hit me hard, um, was my ex, my soon-to-be ex-wife and I were sitting there and she said, just so you know, there is no one on the planet that ever planned in being in those seats where you've right. been. <laughs> I think my divorce lawyer told me the same thing. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, it's a lot of things you can't plan for. And yeah. many things take you in a, right, in a great direction. And at the time, you can't see it. Yeah. But um, then you find things along the way. But you came when you came up, I recall as best I can remember, because this is 12 years ago. Yeah. You and Kim were in the news. I mean, the city was looking forward to you guys. Yeah. You had for yourself. Yeah. It was a much it, it was definitely a, a it was a, honestly it was a much different city back then. I mean, I know the, the old school Portlanders will say that the city's not the same now as it was 20 years ago. But I think 10 years ago was a very different city like people it didn't seem that people were used to others coming from other places um like i remember giving my phone number to people and what's your number okay 323 like 503 no 323 i have a different area code i'm not from here um and i think we were 
part of the first wave of chefs and food people, at least in, in that world, to come from somewhere else to really embrace what this city had to offer. Um, and we well, knew I, some people. I'm going to say, I think it was that it had started to establish itself. Mm -hmm. So people were just assuming that everyone was from Portland. But if you go around and check, because we've been doing this podcast a long time. Yeah. Almost, you know, it's like immigrants, people complaining about immigrants. <laughs> almost everybody's from somewhere else. I mean, you've got, you know, Naomi, who's from around here and Andy Ricker. But a lot, you know, a lot of people came here. I asked you the question before because it was cheaper than San Francisco. Mm -hmm. that's been my experience. So maybe then, you know, people just didn't realize it as much. And it took, it takes a little while to change your area code on your phone. I don't think yeah. you've changed it yet. I have not. I'm, I'm, well, it's my cell phone now, so I'm going to hang on to that forever. Right. Well, I only changed because I came from Connecticut and I had 203 for a couple of years and mm -hmm. I got really tired of <laughs> sure that everybody knew it was, it was 203. So I said, it's time mm -hmm. to go. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess are, that is true. There were a lot of people from elsewhere. Yeah, think about it. I mean, almost everybody you know came from somewhere. I can mm -hmm. just do a little, you know, thing in my spin the wheel and get to anybody and think, oh, he's from Detroit. He's from here. So, mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of a, a lot. I come from Connecticut. We got quite a few people mm -hmm. from Connecticut. Rick Giancarelli and and Tommy Habits and you know there are quite a few. Yeah. Um, but you came up when you started, you started Bake Shop, correct? That was. Yeah, we came up, Bake Shop started. To do? Was that it? Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It, we didn't really have a plan of what was going to happen. It was like, we'll come up, we're going to take the summer off and then we'll see what happens. Um, I mean, really? my, so a, pl a place that is as wonderful as Bake Shop didn't, wasn't planned beforehand. It just sort of happened. It, ju it absolutely just sort of happened. I mean, um, my ex-wife is a brilliant pastry chef. Um, she is. And she, she extremely talented. She had, she had finished writing her book, um, uh, Good to the Grain, from which a lot of the recipes and really the feel of Bake Shop came from, of using whole grain, whole grain flours from a flavor perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember we, I, had been, I had started looking for work it wasn't going really well. Uh, Kim had known, had met Nancy Rommelman on some food tour she had taken up here before we even moved up here, literally bumped into her on the street and said, hey, can I, I, can I make some pastries for one of your coffee shops? Um, Nancy was like, yeah, sure, go for it. Make me some pastries. Here's, here's what we need. Um, after a week or so, Nancy looked into who she actually was um, and then started doing pastries for another for one of her other shops. Um, and then it slowly grew from there. It was one client at a time. We're working out of our house, um, similar to how I'm doing this lasagna thing right now. Um, we moved from there into a leased space. We're like, this is actually a real business. Let's do this. Um, mm -hmm. By that time, um, I had taken a job at Blue Hour. Um, and then that's when Bake Shop sort of came together. And Blue Hour at the time was was right at the center of the food scene when you when you were there i feel like blue hour wasn't i think the, the blue hour was center of the food scene maybe a year or two earlier um and the food scene was definitely evolving like it still had a name for itself but i think it was about seven or eight years old by the time i got there mm -hmm. um it still had um a name it still had still had bodies in the seats um but I feel like the scene had sort of moved to something a little, to restaurants a little bit rougher edges. Um, I think Beast at the time was sort of, I don't want to say uh, peaking then because she's done brilliant things since then, but like it was getting a lot of attention. Um, I feel like other places maybe. Well, La Pigeon then, right? Abso absolutely. And also Country Cat, if I can think of it back to 2007, 2008. I think so. Um, yeah, I can think of the restaurants. I remember uh, Le Pigeon was when we first came up here on our tour to decide to move up here. Le Pigeon was hot. Um, Beast was hot. Uh, Toro Bravo was still pretty hot. Oh, yeah. um, 
yeah, those are kind of the place. Bunk was still, I think for years, I always would tell people Bunk was my favorite restaurant in Portland because they've never left disappointed. Mm-hmm. You still feel that way? You still go? I have not been to Bunk in a while. All right. I didn't mean yeah. to put you on either. No, I kind, of, I kind of got off the gluten for a while as oh, far well, as that, um, vol- vo- voluntary eating. Um, but Blue Hour, I mean, it was, it was a it was not a terrible spot for me to start. I mean, my goal in working there was to um, sort of make a name for myself. I mean, ultimately I wanted to open my own place, but um, in trying to raise money, no one was going to give me money based on um, my reputation and my nice smile. So I really wanted to sort of establish myself as a chef in Portland. I think that um, that sort of helped a lot. I mean, um, I feel like my reputation after I left, there was fairly intact. And while it didn't really end well for me in there, I feel um, when I did leave, there was a lot of support um, for me. All right, Chris, let's pause just a moment here to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, Ringside Steakhouse. For over 75 years, the Peterson family has run the bastion of great service and delicious food, of course, including some of the best steaks you'll ever have. Oh, yeah. Uh, And uh, now they're open Wednesday through Sunday on weekdays starting at 4.30 and on weekends starting at 4. And they have indoor... And I have to say, the indoor dining is very nice. They've got everything all set for the health department in terms of air circulation, and they have beautiful dividers up between the booths. And they also, and so that's also in the bar, and you can make a reservation to eat in the bar or make a reservation to eat in the dining room, or also, of course, safe to pick up a grill kit. So uh, they, they're really more like meal kits now. And so they're offering heat and eat kits that guests can pick up on Saturdays. They're uh, almost sold out every week, but check the website and social media for updates and menus. And then, of course, the holidays are coming up and they'll provide, you can bring home a great, you can bring Ringside Steakhouse home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, and they'll also have a meal kit for two for New Year's Eve. Those are available on the website too. Which is ringsidesteakhouse.com, which is also where you will go. You you can see the, uh, the daily menu there and you can also set up your reservations there. And let's not forget gift cards. Oh yeah. For the- there's a great idea too. Mm-hmm. So, Perfect for the holidays. Yeah, take a look at those, and I believe if uh, I've been following them for long enough, as you get closer to the holidays, they'll probably have a nice deal on them too. Nice. So check it out. You eventually landed uh, at Pockpock. I eventually landed at Pockpock working with Andy, um, who I'd respected um, for a long time. He had offered me a position. Um, as an operations manager, I think he was planning at the, at the time before Los Angeles opened. Um, and I think New York was still opening. Um, and we talked about it back and forth and I considered it. And then there was one, and the time I was working at the bakery, just doing the night bakes and supporting how I could. <coughs> and then one day the oven went out and it was like, I'm the operations director of this, of this place. Like I don't need another job. Um, but I think six to seven months later, um, the bakery became, the bakery wasn't big enough for my ex and I, um, in that I didn't need two, two people of our skills and experience to run it. She had it. It was under her control. Um, so I went to work with Andy and I learned a lot working with Andy, just about, uh, running a multi-unit operation, um, in the, the scrappy manner that that place operated. Um, and I, I, for the most part, I enjoyed the experience. Like it was, it was definitely some challenges trying to open a restaurant in Los Angeles, as well as manage the restaurants up here uh, with the challenges that they had. Um, at the time, sen- there was still Senyai going on. There was Pak Pak Noi. They had the, the commissary kitchen, uh, whiskey soda lounge, Pak. And then Pock Pock Pad Thai and the Pock Pock Los Angeles. So it was a lot to put my arms around at the time. And what went through your mind when you heard the news last week that the whole Pock Pock Empire was done? Um, I wasn't surprised, um, only because I'd been watching it since then. Um, 
I feel like Andy is going to be immensely happier now. Um, and I think he mentioned that somewhat in, in the letter he posted on Facebook. I'm not in touch with Andy. Um, I haven't heard him speak about it other than that letter that he posted. Um, and just how he felt about like go, growing to the point where he's worrying about profits rather than um, the experience, I guess. Um, and that was my experience with him as well back then. But then there was 10 restaurants instead of just one. <clears throat> I think, I think it's responsible to, or I think it'd be silly for him to try to reopen that post COVID in such an, it, there's just so many unknowns. Um, and if his heart's not really in it, then, and I've been, I've been to Thailand with Andy and I see what his life, some, a little bit of what his life is like there. Um, I would be much happier there as well. I think he, he was on his way there anyway. I think this was yeah. all, you know, he'll look at, if he's not looking at it now, and I don't know Andy well at all, but if he's not looking at it now, he will someday say, well, that was kind of meant to happen for me. That, that helped me sever the tie a little sooner and, and get on with right. my life. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, that, was, that was also one of the first restaurants I came to when I came up in Portland to look for was just was that place. And at that time, it was just whiskey. I think whiskey soda was, I don't even know if whiskey soda was open at that point in 2008 when I first came up and considered this place. <coughs> so um, how are you feeling about not only the, the well, not only Portland, but right, the, being a chef now? Um, where do you think everything's going to go from here? That's a big question. That's a lot. It's a, I mean, I've, I, even when I haven't been cooking, um, I was still thinking of myself as a chef. Um, it has always been uh, a challenging but rewarding way to make a living, maybe even a noble way to make a living. I mean, that's how I thought about it so many years ago before I was making more than $12 an hour. Like this is a, this is a noble way to, to work. It's like you're working with your hands, you're, it's a craft. Um, but I, I honestly, I'm a little conflicted about that. Um, for the longest time, uh, I had a hard time and I was trying to find a way to work as a chef in this industry. Uh, but it is an industry that does require such sacrifice at all levels, whether you're the owner uh, working 60, 70 hours a week and not seeing your family because you, so you can go through a dinner service or whether you're a cook who's working for possibly a substandard wage or a wage that just keeps you just hanging on with hopes that one day you're going to make it um, and the chances of making it are kind of slim. Um, but again, like there's such passion and excitement just for the job itself that sometimes that's fulfilling enough it got to the point where that wasn't necessarily fulfilling to me. I don't want to run a restaurant. I don't want to work uh, 60 hours a week and I don't want to work nights. I have three kids now um, and I'd like to be a bigger part of the, the, a part of the lives that I couldn't be if I was working as a restaurant chef. Um, and I've always struggled like, well, is that the nature of the industry or just my approach to the industry? Um, I've seen very few chefs who are able to balance those lives. Um, so I'm inclined to think it's just the nature of the industry. Um, and it's terribly unfortunate um, that it's take that this pandemic, uh, what it's done to so many people whose livelihoods were um, basically just ripped out from underneath them. Um, but I also wonder how many of them were like, just barely hanging on and really working harder than they had to just to hang on to just a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a reckoning that was, it's been a long time coming and I hope whatever form it take this industry takes in the future is, is an improvement upon this. Um, but I think a lot of things need to change about um, what people are willing to pay for, for food. Right, um, I think on a lot of levels. From an industry standpoint, there's probably going to be some improvement that comes out of it, but there's also going to be a lot of pain. People yeah. who aren't going to be able to get jobs. From a consumer mm -hmm. standpoint, I'm still struggling with how it's going to be better because right now, without for me, 
you know, I loved your lasagna the other night. That was great. Mm -hmm. But it's not something I want to do as often as I used to go out to eat. Right. You know, order in and eat at home. I want to get out. You know, I think a lot of people do. And there's that social discourse when you're sitting at a restaurant and, mm -hmm. and being able to, it's, it's kind of nice to be able to order on the fly instead of right. deciding three days ahead of time what I'm going to have on Thursday night. Exactly. So I, I think, you know, right now we're in this interim period where you realize this is the best we're going to do, but I don't know how we're going to come out of it. You know, you just mentioned or alluded to the fact that restaurants are going to probably have to become more expensive to sustain. Uh, but there are a lot of consumers that are coming out of this too, without as much right. disposable income. Yeah. So I don't know how those two, I think those two things conflict and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I surely don't think we're going to have as many restaurants. Any city is going to have as many restaurants as they had, uh, you know, by 2024, there are not going to be as many restaurants as there were in 2018. Right. And, and I think that's okay. I mean, it's not okay yeah. for all the people who got hurt, but I do think there were we ample choices in Portland to go out to eat. I mean, it was mm -hmm. kind of crazy. You'd have brain freeze. I remember I couldn't even make a decision. There were so many opportunities. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. No, it's, it's, it, it's a mystery. And if I, it, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I don't even know what, I don't even know what should happen. Um, and it's hard to say that there's too many restaurants, but there's kind of too many restaurants. Um, I want everyone to make a, an amazing living. Um, but with the volume of places there are, it's, um, I don't know. I've all, I've also been so wrong so many times um, <laughs> about like, uh, what did I do? I was thinking about opening a pizza place years ago. And I'm like, Portland has so many pizza places. Portland does not need another pizza place. Since then, probably a dozen pizza joints have opened up and they're all doing great. Um, so my analysis of the industry can perhaps be a bit off. Yeah. Well, and uh, I can't speak to it because, uh, you know, I've never owned a restaurant, but as I understand it, pizzas, if you can do it, if you can make a good pizza and have a good following, mm -hmm. it's fairly profitable um, mm -hmm. compared to some other restaurants. I mean, you know exactly what your base is every day and you go from right. there. So, mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So can you, do you think, I mean, obviously it's not going to be forever, but could you sustain a living making lasagna and, and i've um my phone is leaning up against my laptop right now where there's a spreadsheet working out where i was just trying to figure that one out um yes i could i could i'm right now i'm squeaking by making lasagna um am i gonna send my kids to college on lasagna probably not um <laughs> but i'm for for right now like that's kind of what i got um I'm sure there's lots of other options, but that's it. So far it's working out. Okay. I've got a, a really good following. Um, like I posted uh, yesterday, one in the afternoon, um, what my menu was for the week. I've got 22 lasagnas to sell. Um, by seven 30 last night, I'd sold them all. So I okay. sold you one by the way, because I was harping so much about how good it was. So, Oh, Friend of mine, friend of mine ordered. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's where my business is coming from. It's, it's, it's word of mouth um, and repeat customers of the 22. I think four people were people I haven't heard from before. Um, I was, I, I mean, I'm surprised too. this actually works. I'm going to say this too, because it's harder for you to say, but I will say it. when, because <laughs> it's a strange world out there. So I paid you via Venmo and then there's mm -hmm. this whole social thing on who's paying who. And I saw, when I saw Kathy Wims is buying your lasagna, <laughs> there you go, man. That's a, that, there's a hearty endorsement right there. She is one of my best customers. Thank you, Kathy Wims, if you're listening. I think that's pretty awesome. And that says a lot if she's, because I mean, she could generally be having it right out of her own restaurant. So for her to mm -hmm. look for something different, that is, uh, that's fantastic. What was the impetus for, so did you, what were the different options that you threw around before you I, arrived? Honestly, it, I think, um, God, I don't even know. I think I was working on a few different ideas of what businesses I could possibly get into. Um, I was reading um, 
Evan Funky's pasta book. Um, and he has a recipe for lasagna bolognese in there. Um, and I'm like, you know what? I haven't made a lasagna in a while. So I started, I made a lasagna and it was really, really delicious. And my girlfriend's like, this is the best lasagna I've ever had. I'm like, yeah. Um, but I'm like, I could possibly, I should just sell these or something. And at the time I was on Instagram and I started seeing people popping up. Um, there's one woman who's selling quiche, like, here's my business, buy a quiche and I'll deliver it to you. I'm like, that's not a bad idea. And there's someone else, there's a bunch of people doing charcuterie and someone who's doing donuts um, and a lot of pastries. And I'm like, yeah, great. I'll do that. So I took some, I made a lasagna. I took some pictures. I put it up um, and I sold 14 the first week. I'm like, people actually want to do this. Um, And I don't have anything else going on. So yeah, I'll just, I'll jump in. Um, and it's worked out really well. And the, the response has been really positive. And every week I get another 50 followers or so, and it gets easier to sell them. Um, I'm now doing it two days a week. Um, I'm going to ride this for a few weeks and probably add another day a week. At a certain point, I'll might, I might have to start producing out of a, a, a legit kitchen instead of just out of my home. Um, and it's okay. And it's okay to produce it out of your home. At what point? Does the OLCC or whomever it might be, the health department, say you you can't keep doing this? Well, I, I mean, I could eat, I could have my home inspected and just work out of here. We get, right. I can get a totally get a health license. Like I'm I'm following all the all the rules that I would. Um, so it's just a matter of uh, keeping costs under control at this point. Yeah. So well, that's cool. I actually after I asked you if you'd be kind enough to do this podcast i sort of regretted it because i thought you know now it's going to be tougher for me to get that lasagna in the future <laughs> I'll add it's it not something day. i can order every week because i'm out here in manzanita so i have to arrange mm-hmm. to get there as a matter of fact my kids were the first beneficiaries of the first time i ordered because i couldn't get back so mm-hmm. um, and they loved it so I, um, i'm glad i'm glad to hear that so in a, and so you obviously have, uh, not obviously, you have a normal oven. Lasagna is quite a large production. Mm-hmm. How does it take you to put, and you're not baking them all either, right? You're I'm not delivering I'm, I deliver. I deliver all frozen, of them. Fresh. One can order. Um, I usually, I usually I'll make them all um, that day. Uh, once they're made, if they're not going to be baked, I put them in my freezer. They'll freeze a little bit. They bake great frozen. Um, if they're going to be delivered hot, I bake them all off. I can do a dozen at a time. It takes about an hour and a half to bake. Um, I usually start assembling them at 10 o'clock. I make my pasta the night before. Um, I make my sauce the day before and cool it all down. So, um, it takes, it's, it's all day. And Let's then there's the a delivery aspect. So and now deliver. here's a different, a different aspect for all your years of, of being a chef or cooking. Mm-hmm. Now you're actually see where people live. The people exactly. who patronize you, you know, where, what, where they live and what they're, where they're mm-hmm. coming from. I know it is kind of awkward. Someone's like, hey, I want a lasagna. I'm like, hey, what's your address? Like right out of the gate. Because I, <laughs> imme- well, I started off, I made some mistakes at the beginning of saying, yeah, sure. I'll totally get you a lasagna. And I, then I find out they live in Vancouver. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to Vancouver. Um, I deliver all my lasagnas typically within an hour of them coming out of the oven. I think the longest one is an hour. Um, and then I do my cold ones. I have someone who helps me deliver, so they all go out fast. Um, it's a totally different aspect, and it's unusual to actually come to people's houses. I enjoy it. And then there's the whole COVID aspect of it where, like, okay, well, I'm not going to get within six feet of you. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to put the bag down at your doorstep. I'm going to ring your door. Then I'll stand back. It's just, it's all very awkward. <clears throat> exactly. That was the experience I had. I had never right. met you before. And it was like the phantom lasagna right. man is coming up. So right. we didn't even say much. It was kind of, it was strange. And I find this because COVID, everything's strange. You know, I walked, I've mm-hmm. walked into a few places and not, I know a person, but I don't recognize them because I don't recognize them from the eyes up only. I can't, exactly. or I can't be sure enough to say, 
you know, high salary. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't think we have a norm. We haven't established the rule, the, the, the etiquette yet for how to serve, how to just interact with COVID. Like you don't do handshakes anymore. Is it a fist bump? Is it an elbow bump? Is a fist bump too much contact? Yeah. Well, also I think etiquette is kind of going, I hope it comes back, but yes. now, you know, it's a, it's a whole generation that has, uh, a lot of their experience, the majority of their social experience is like this, is mm-hmm. a screen. Yeah. So who knows where that's all going, but I'm not going to be, you know, sounding like my grandfather or my father. I, you know, I worry sometimes, um, like I have kids in school now and we had the back to school and I'm, that's where I got to zoom meet with the teachers and the teachers talking to all of us at once. And one of my daughter's teachers was like, please have your kids turn their screens on. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just I didn't realize at that point that, like, these kids are going to school. Half the class doesn't have their screens on. They're freshmen in high school. Um, And like, I couldn't imagine going to school like you don't even see half the people you're in class with. Your teacher is teaching to a room full of not even a room, a screen of just like blacked out screens. And I'm like. I don't want to sound like an old guy, but like that's, that, that just feels wrong to me. Well, um, I don't think I hope- you sound like an old guy if your reasoning or your heartfelt reasoning is the same as mine. And, I, and I'm not, I mean, I, I can easily admit for school for me right through to college was mostly the social experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a great student. I was an okay student. I could get by and I took courses I liked, mm-hmm. but... I mean, if you took the social aspect away from me, I don't, I don't know if I even would have wanted to go. I, I'm not, yeah. I wasn't going just to study and mm-hmm. learn anything. So, I mean, I, yeah, I eventually did, but <laughs> I, I don't know what I really, you know, there's certain things that stuck with me, but I don't know if I would have gleaned anything if it had just been on a screen, just learning. Right. I mean, a lot of it was the social interaction. I remember a political science class was the most awesome thing. He had us grouped together as countries and mm-hmm. the professor would throw different, you know, <laughs> bombing in and we'd have to deal with it. Well, that was because we were all huddled in class talking about it. We couldn't do that. So mm-hmm. I may sound like a real old guy by saying that, but I just don't understand. I don't see how society is going to be a better society just through screen. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this generation is going to be able to get more out of through a screen than, than I'm able to. I yeah. don't know. And I don't know. I, by the way, I can't speak for you, but I've had a lot of uh, screens have been good to me in mm-hmm. my life. You know, I was a single guy for a long time. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't work. But I'm just saying as an academic tool, I don't know. But also, not to I don't know if this is the case with you, but I mean, we didn't have I went to one of the best school systems in the supposedly in the country. We didn't have homework to speak (laughs) of. We got through it without a backpack. I mean, we we carried one book home with some papers in there. Yeah. Things are different. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry I went down that tangent. but it's uh, val- it's it's what's on our minds yeah it's a little different and it was on my mind as you came up i said i th- i immediately thought that was just really awkward the other night meeting you and taking your delicious food and enjoying it but it was really not even a fist bump it all sort of was i think we did it like a fake elbow yeah but this yeah, is much but, better I'm, that's what i'm saying like we need be- we need a, a we need a new set of rules for like how to comport yourself in a pandemic safely. Well, it's and the, the little things. And let's go back to, do you think, that's a good question. Do you think we're, everybody's always going to be leery of everything? I was mentioning to my girlfriend the other night, I have never been so aware of what my hands touch and mm-hmm. I'm in my life. I mean, I used to just do everything and eat. And I don't, didn't, I don't remember washing my hands all day long. It was right. You know, one, so now, and you, but that's not the same as for a chef. You have to wash your hands. Yeah, I mean, I'm washing my hands constantly. Um, I think more habitually in the kitchen, like you touch something, wash your hands, touch this, wash your hands. Um, 
but out in the world, like the rules are different. Like I'm, I had to go to, where did I have to go the other day? I went to Ikea and I took my daughter. First off, first time she's been in a store for months. Um, and I went up the stairs and I touched the stair and she's like, dad, don't touch this. Why are you touching the, why are you touching the, the, the side rail on the stairs? Mm. Don't touch that. I'm like, Oh my God. So, uh, are you getting out to eat at all with your girlfriend or your kids? Uh, with my kids, no. With a girlfriend, occasionally. Um, depending on, like, I, we're trying to keep it very safe. Like, if we're going to go out, it's just going to be the two of us. Um, but there's a few places that I've really enjoyed. So a, a bunch of the, a few of the places I've been thinking about lately um, and really enjoying is Montelupo, uh, which is Adam Berger's uh, pasta joint on 28th um i think he's doing a lot of to-go stuff i think he's selling fresh pastas there as well i went there and ate a couple pastas and a glass of wine um i thought everything was beautiful there i mean i i, I like adam berg i think he's a really nice guy um i think he's always done really great stuff um i'm looking forward to going back there um even though he's kind of competing me competing with me uh, with the pasta game but i think there's plenty of room for everybody in portland yeah. another just to mention, he's from Tab. Anybody who had gone to Tabla, that was his restaurant. Right. Yeah, uh, I remember eating at Tabla when he was still there. When he when he still had that open. Um, again, and the pasta there was exceptional. Right. It was really good. So. Yeah. Um, another place I enjoyed. I just went there for the Dia de los Muertos last week. Uh, it's Tropical or Tropicale. Um, and that's in the ocean um, micro restaurant uh, cluster, I guess it is, at 24th, I think, in Gleason. Um, again, that was beautiful as well. It's like the, I think it's the most Instagram-friendly restaurant in Portland right now with the, the cocktails they're doing um, and the design. It's a beautiful patio that's covered. Um, so it's protected from the rain. It's COVID-friendly. So... I'm re- I was. I really enjoyed that place. The food was spot on. Um, I haven't been there yet, but I'm really excited to go to Republica, uh, which is in the EcoTrust building, I believe. I went for coffee there a few weeks ago, um, and they've been building out their restaurant. I think it opened last week, um, and they have two different concepts going, one's during the day and one's at night. So uh, I'm just excited to see some some different faces and some different uh, cuisines popping up around Portland. Um, so Republic has really got me excited. So have you ever been to um, Bologna, Italy? I've never, I have not been to Bologna. It's um, one of the places I do need to go. I spent a few weeks in Italy years ago, um, mostly going through uh, Tuscany and Umbria. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was still an amazing experience. Um, I got to spend a couple of weeks um, staying at a friend's house in Panacale, um, which is this little village of, I think, 700 people. Um, and just sort of exploring that region. Um, and that just sort of underscored my love for um, Italian food and just simple delightful cooking we're going to do another trip to bologna as a matter of fact um we're hoping to do a ferrari and food trip to bologna and modena that's brilliant but at any rate i'm gonna i'm gonna say this in all fairness your short rib and mushroom lasagna if not there if not (laughs) right at where it was in bologna was real was was really close and you thank you you're not thank italian you. you haven't been doing it for 45 years so i'm not excited i'm not doing it for 45 years um and while i don't agree with the word authentic in reference to pretty much any cuisine um i have yet to find a word that's appropriate for that um but like, I think the tech, the techniques I use, the recipes I use, the methods I use, um, I think are in line with the traditions of, of that region. Um, I mean, I, I, I get a lot of guilt, um, when I feel, when I feel like I'm taking liberties too much with something along those lines, like my sauce, it's a little more tomato than they would have in, in, in what they're doing, but I yeah. like it. Like, I, I kind of like it like that. Um, 
I think one of the other inspirations I had before I did this, there's this YouTube series called Pasta Grannies, <coughs> where these people just go around different regions of Italy um, filming these old ladies making pasta. Some of them are like in their 90s and making pasta, how they've made it by hand their entire lives. Um, and I'm like, I want to be that old lady. I want to be that 94-year-old woman who's making this amazing lasagna with this handmade spinach pasta um, every single day. This was really pleasurable because I didn't know you at all. I had never heard from anybody what type of interview you might be. Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't talk to someone, it's we've had a couple along the way that were, you know. <laughs> And this flowed very, really nicely. You're, uh, if you, I don't know how many interviews you've done uh, over the years, but you're great at it. You're a great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I've done, I've done a few, and um, I definitely had the experience of watching a lot of interviews. Um, I mean, working, working with Wolfgang, there was a, there was a TV camera in the kitchen at least once a week. All right. Um, yeah. Well, I, just watching it doesn't make you good at anything. You know, uh, public mm -hmm. speaking, uh, I've watched a lot of that, and I still feel like when I'm asking <laughs> MC events, I'm a terrible MC. So, yeah. Uh, or not, or it's probably because I'm harder on myself than other people would be. That's but. true. I'm sure everyone else is loving, is, is enjoying the experience a lot more than you are. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. But I can tell you, um, sincerely, I enjoyed the, it's been an hour almost. It I flies, the, doesn't it? You're taking the time because I know you got some. Uh, is Are you smelling lasagna right now? Right now, no. I'm going to be doing a little bit shop, a little bit of shopping today for tomorrow and Thursday's run, um, mm -hmm. and hopefully within a few more weeks, I'll be doing it three days a week. All righty. And are you going to right. keep up the short rib version? Um, I will work that in occasionally. Um, it's really delicious. It's a lot more work than some of the other ones. Um, mm -hmm. but it's so good. So I've also done an oxtail one in the past that I, I really thought was special. Um, I don't know. There's always, I, I always feel like I need to be changing it constantly, but also keep it for the most part traditional. Well, I, I appreciate the, uh, the time and, um, thanks so much for coming on and I hope you continue to listen as we go it's, forward. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right